This podcast is part of the Big Heads Media Podcast Network. Visit bigheadsmedia.com for more great podcasts. Welcome in, everyone, and thank you for listening to the 70th ever episode of the Missouri Sports Podcast, brought to you by 106 Apparel and recording from the Revel Advertising Studio in beautiful Springfield, Missouri. I'm one of your hosts, Cameron Albert, alongside my good friend and fellow Mizzou fan, Kyle DeVries. How are you doing today, Kyle? I'm great, Cameron. How are you? I'm doing very well. It's 2020. Yes. Did you have a good uh, holiday time? I did. Good Christmas. Good New Year's. I spent New Year's with with you fellas. That oh, was what nothing, you nothing better <laughs> than that. Yeah. That was a good time. Mm-hmm. Uh, have you watched any good bowl games or anything? Um, I haven't watched as much as I probably have hoped that I would do. I did watch most of Clemson and Ohio, Ohio State. That was oh, a good yeah. game. Yeah, that was a good one. What did you think about the targeting call in particular? I can't even remember which way it went. Um, okay, it was, well, I actually Trevor watched... Lawrence was tackled. So. I actually watched all the second half and a little bit of the first half, so I actually missed that targeting call i think was that in the first half that that happened i don't know it had to have been i know producer cameron saw I, it. I missed it i did what'd you think of that uh, i didn't agree with it but probably correct interpretation of a of the rule but not just dumb yeah. rule yeah i feel like there's not really room for judgment or they don't there's like they don't really allow for room for judgment on the ref's part, and I feel like there should be some allowed because clearly it's not the def- the defender's fault. Right. Yeah. In that particular situation, I don't think like the defender, unless the rule clearly states that you cannot in like the first contact. If the first contact is with the crown of the helmet, if that is always going to be targeting, then I guess they called it correctly. Mm-hmm. But. I have a sneaking suspicion that if Trevor Lawrence just like turns and that hit is right to his back, they're never calling that. Mm-hmm. Even if he does lead with his helmet. Do they, cause they can still like, it's still the 15 yard penalty. They just don't do the targeting. Like they just don't kick the guy out of the game or do they wave off the flag? I, I don't even remember how either. that works. They might wave it off completely. Which seems silly. I feel like, I don't know, maybe it's not silly, but uh, there's other like personal fouls that you don't get kicked out of the game for. Right. I feel like it should be egregious to like, it should almost be like a technical in basketball. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and people were talking about on Twitter, how um, in a standard uh, college football season, a targeting penalty eliminates you from 9% of game play. And they were showing the equivalent in an NBA season or an MLB season. And it was like, a ton of games mm-hmm. and just like does that really make sense like can you imagine and like what a major league baseball player would have to do to be kicked out of like nine games it's literally from like fighting yeah and even then it's not always that long there's another controversial call later on in the game where the clemson receiver caught the ball and fumbled it and yeah. ohio state ran it back for a touchdown what did you guys think about that play well you probably both already know how i feel about uh catch rules in football um, I think if I was just playing catch with someone in the yard, 
I would take that standard of did you catch the ball or not and apply it to football, which is unpopular probably because that would mean there's a lot fewer incomplete passes and a lot more catches and fumbles. But I think common sense should play a part in it. Like if I show my grandma a full speed play and go, did he catch it or not? A lot of these incomplete passes, she's going to say, yeah, he caught it. And then that guy hit it away from him. Yeah. He caught it. And then that guy stripped mm. it from him. Like so many times. Yeah. That's what a, just the lay person would say. If you said, did he catch that ball? Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. He took like four steps <laughs> and he didn't actually, he had the ball kind of extended away from his body. And maybe that's what kind of gave the illusion almost yeah. that he didn't catch it, even though he had possession of it, I would say he yeah. didn't bring it in towards his chest. So, uh, maybe that means in, in their eyes that it wasn't a catch but i i think that that the way it happened on the field was probably how it should have stood but it did end up getting overturned as an incomplete pass correct? that's what i yeah like if they would have called it incomplete whatever like don't overturn it and call it a catch and fumble yeah but they called it a catch and fumble on the field and i don't know i just didn't think that there was yeah i was just like mind blown honestly that they like reversed it yeah like, i was, I was like there's no way you can well. reverse this call yeah. I should. I thought it should have been confirmed anyway, but yeah. whatever. Well, we've just got uh, a fun national championship coming up, though. Should be. Yeah, I think so. I think LSU is one of the best college football teams I've seen in a long time, to be completely honest. And I hope they win because I think they deserve to win. And I'm an SEC homer. And I don't know. They've just been super fun to watch. I, yeah. I'm, I'm like a casual fan of Joe Burrow, I guess you could say. And he's just a great I love great the way team. they just absolutely dismantled Oklahoma. Oh, yeah. I enjoyed that for sure. I almost wish that, like, they're. I don't want Texas to be good enough to be in the Final Four. But <laughs> also, it would have been. I've, I dislike Texas more than Oklahoma. So, I don't know. I kind of felt bad for Oklahoma a little bit, but then also. I don't really care. I want to see them get destroyed. Yeah, I'd rather Texas just have a mediocre year every year. Go yeah. like six and six every year. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Just keep winning that bowl game so the coach stays around, but yeah, only win six to eight games every year. So Kyle can pick him in the football playoff at the beginning of the oh, season. All right, again. <laughs> you guys just love that. I, I wasn't going to bring it up. <laughs> <laughs> well, we've got some Mizzou to talk about, but before we do that, I want to thank all of our wonderful listeners for. A great 2019, specifically a fantastic December. Um, our biggest month of the podcast so far, as far as downloads, we had some great episodes with the coaching search and talking about Eli Drinkwitz when he was first hired. Those are some of our most popular uh, episodes of all time now. And don't forget, this is a perfect time to recommend the podcast to others since we're going to be previewing the sec football slate for missouri it's like a, a brand new season football's no longer here so um if anybody feels like they wouldn't be able to catch up i think the start of sec play is a perfect time to hop on board and follow along with us the rest of the season before we talk about the sec season though we have to talk about some news everybody thought i was about to start an ad read but we don't have an ad this week um our news is there's a new offer out to a 2022 running back named Arlen Harris Jr. Do you have any uh, information about this uh, gentleman? I believe he is from the state of Missouri. Um, but other than that, 
It's really early to be talking about 2022, guys. So we'll keep you posted on that. Um, in other football news, Tyler Beatty is back, folks. Let's go. So he kind of uh, gave us all a little bit of a worry on Twitter when he said he was announcing something. Yeah. Uh, we kind of all thought that maybe he was transferring. No matter what he... I decided before we knew what was happening that no matter what he announced, I thought it was going to be kind of strange. Yeah, I think that was slightly negligent, and maybe it doesn't really matter that he kind of just made it look like he was about to deliver some bad news potentially or just the initial tweet with him saying like thank you mizzou and then like posting yeah. a highlight reel kind of almost like auditioning himself for his next uh his next step but uh either way he surely got our attention yep uh and i am president of the tyler Beatty fan club <laughs> if you didn't already know so i'm i'm happy about uh mr Beatty coming back um i think he's gonna have a great year i think he just He's a spark plug, man. He's he's going to be really really good in this in uh, Drinkwood's offense, and I'm excited. I'm glad he's coming back. Yeah, I mean, when I was watching some highlight film of Appalachian State and reading some articles about their offense in particular, I was like, man, Tyler Beatty checks a lot of boxes of what these uh, running backs are doing in this system. So hopefully he uh, finds out that it's a good fit and they can be successful together because. He's got uh, a few, a couple more years where he could be really good for Missouri. Uh, sticking with football, a new coach was added to the staff, Bush Hamden. Uh, he was confirmed just recently, and I've got a screenshot here just kind of detailing his past coaching stops, which includes... Uh, after uh, serving as an assistant at Colorado, Maryland, Sacramento State, he was a wide receivers coach at Florida, then a co-offensive coordinator at Arkansas State in Davidson, then spent a few years at Washington, a year with the Atlanta Falcons coaching quarterbacks, and then uh, again at Washington as offensive coordinator slash quarterbacks coach. And he worked with uh, Jacob Eason at Washington. If you recall, Jacob Eason transferred to Washington from Georgia. He was at Georgia for a couple of years when Missouri played against him. I think most notably was that game in Columbia, maybe in 2016, where it was super close. And I think Georgia won on like the last play of the game. Um, anyway, sorry to bring that up. But uh, Eason is he's a really good player. He just declared for the draft, I think. So... Obviously, he was successful at, at Washington, so it sounds like uh, he would probably uh, give a, a nice testimonial for, for Bush Hamden and the, and the work he's done at Washington. Yeah, I wonder if a um, if he'll be named co-offensive coordinator or maybe like associate head coach or something like that. It seems like it I feels like his resume warrants something like that other than just quarterbacks coach right yeah it seems like it would be a, a little bit of a lateral move to go from a to say the least yeah yeah maybe even a backwards move to go from a co-offensive coordinator at a power five program and then go to another power five program and just be the same thing or yeah, or less lesser. just be quarterbacks coach but yeah i know sometimes we get caught up in the titles of yeah. the various assistant coaches but a lot of times those titles are tied to pay so um it does make a difference on which guys you can land depending on what role and pay is available, obviously. 
A couple basketball news items. Jordan Wilmore, uh, the only 2020 commit for Mizzou at the time, has earned his third star according to Rivals. He was a two-star, which, for those that don't know, basically might as well be unranked, and now he is a three-star. So he is on the radar of the recruiting services a little bit more than basically being non-existent before this yeah and and this is usually pretty meaningless information but i guess it's still it's good just to have some kind of credible source saying that they you know believe in him i guess a little bit or or think that he's a a worthy division one power five player yeah um you know the rivals guys are are wrong a lot but they also know what they're doing and three star doesn't even necessarily mean that they you know think true he's a power five contributor by any means but it does just maybe obviously we're not watching him play and right. somebody for these recruiting services typically is seeing something and apparently that was at least good enough to upgrade him a little bit yeah. uh, last little bit of news Jordan Clarkson this happened last week when I forgot to mention it he was traded from the Cleveland Cleveland Cavaliers to the Utah Jazz and you see first, that uh yeah go ahead that screenshot of his haircut <laughs> yeah that was he said was, was that real about that being fake oh okay i saw he replied to the barstool uh twitter account oh good saying, i can sleep now yeah um on the the opposite of that his first game in utah they were wearing their throwbacks like the purple mm-hmm. mountain uh jerseys mm-hmm. those are awesome by purple the way. mountain majesties yeah though he looked uh, incredible in those jerseys those are a favorite of mine because Weirdly enough, my mom was a Utah Jazz fan in the 90s. John Stockton? Yeah, Carl Malone. Um, I think she kind of just wanted to be a contrarian because everybody else was a Bulls fan in Missouri. So she was a Jazz fan, and we had family in Salt Lake City. So, But I remember growing up seeing that those purple yeah, uniforms, me too. and they're really cool looking. Classic. Enough about all that. Let's talk about Mizzou basketball because football's over. It's, it's basketball time. Uh, Missouri just completely trounced Chicago State at home uh, last Monday. And I was there for it. I got to witness it in person. So I got my dad and my two younger brothers tickets for Christmas along with Mizzou hoodies. And we made the drive up to Columbia. And they were not disappointed. Uh, One funny thing that happened was uh, the reason kind of we're there christmas present was basketball themed is because i coached them in their youth league uh this past fall and i guess the younger one he's five years old he must think that i'm just a basketball coach because when we got in the car to leave he said now are you going to be coaching are you going to be helping coach tonight and i had to let him know unfortunately no i would not be helping coach even though i might have some good ideas but uh we were just there to watch maybe next year yeah and uh, get that invite but they were really excited and i think uh, the younger one was more interested in the actual like gameplay versus the older one caleb he was more interested in just like the pageantry of the whole thing just being in the big arena but uh yeah they were they were pretty they were pretty excited to be there we we moved down to some nicer seats uh for the second half we were like third row across from the coach's box basically and so we got a really good view of mark smith's dunk uh parker brown's dunk mario mckinney's little swoop layup like six threes from torrence watson yes that was really fun to watch we'll get into all of that but um just wanted to say as per usual my trip to columbia was great um arena is always a fun place to watch a game 
um, not to be too down on the home fans. Uh, if I lived closer to Columbia, man, I would be at every home game. Yeah, same. And I know that's easy for me to say since I'm not there, but... Um, it looked well attended from was my TV at home. Better than I expected, to yeah. be honest. But for Chicago State, yeah. like... I think coming off of the Illinois victory definitely helped that a bit. Uh, but it was still Christmas break, and there were some students there. Of course, there were some antlers there. Um, but yeah, it seemed just fine. On to the game, though. Uh, any major points you want to touch on here? I mean, it was it was under control yeah, was, from the very beginning. It was basically a exhibition game. It yeah. almost felt like we were watching. I mean, just from the think, very start, I mean, you could tell that Chicago State was not going to put any pressure defensively. I mean, at any point. I mean, full court, half court, it did not matter. Missouri had five feet of space every time. They had Whoever had the ball, yeah. there was nobody like even close to them. Yeah, and I think, honestly, some teams that Missouri has played in actual exhibition games could have beaten yeah, Chicago State. Or at least play, played yeah. better defense. Yeah. Um, obviously, it was great to see Torrance Watson come out and break out of his shooting slump. Um, he made two in the in the first half, including a buzzer beater uh, right at the end of the first half, and then six in the second half. So he was 8 of 13, uh, desperately needed up until this point. He had only made nine on the season. He almost matched that in one night. And he set a new Mizzou Arena record for uh, most three-pointers made in a game. And he beat Mark Smith's record, which happened like, well, I guess Mark Smith tied the record, didn't Mm -hmm. he? But that happened like two games ago. (laughs) I think there was a a few people at the seven mark, and nobody had had been able to uh, pull ahead with number eight, but he was able to do it. They were just feeding him. That was really fun to watch because the bench was going crazy. Uh, The crowd was really into it when he was – Every time he touched the ball. They were just, like, feeding him the ball every, oh, yeah. every possession, like, in that stretch in the second half. Like, if he was even remotely open, they and, were getting the ball to him. And you'd think somebody for Chicago State would be like, all right, they're just giving this guy the ball, so why don't we just really play play up on him, like, run him off the three-point line? But, I don't know, they didn't, I they think didn't they care didn't to run care anybody off the three-point line all game. I mean, the first make of the game, I think, was Mark Smith 3, where he had all the room that he needed. Mm-hmm. So... They were not challenging the three-point line, so, but it was good to see Missouri actually make them. I mean, yeah. 16 of 31, that will do just fine in any game yeah. if they want to do that. It's probably, uh, hopefully it's not going to give them some faux confidence because they're never going to be shooting threes that open like ever again, <laughs> but I'm I'll sure take, they know I'll how it is. I'll take any confidence, even if it's true. a little bit unwarranted. That's probably true. We, we really do, like, I f- feel like it's just as simple as that, as like having a guy that's going to make shots more consistently that could really help them out just because they were so stale offensively at the beginning of the year that that's just something like Torrance Watson getting hot or Javon Pickett playing better, which has happened recently, and we've seen a much better team. Yeah, and even without much from uh, Jeremiah Tillman, obviously, so he he didn't play at all in this game, but even against Illinois, he was pretty limited. I think he was obviously banged up going into that one. But he didn't really contribute much on offense. And I think obviously just hitting outside shots helps mitigate that. But also hitting outside shots is going to open him up more to be to be able to convert baskets more easily. Um, and a defense is not going to be able to just, at least if they do, just pack the paint against him, there will be consequences. Um, but so far this season, if I was playing Missouri... I would just let them shoot threes. But hopefully the scouting report says they've been bad this year, but 
they've got guys that can make shots. Um, let's see here. Drew Smith, uh, he in person, I think was even more impressive than, um, when you watch him on TV and just the way he is so in control all the time and just making little plays, a little tipped ball to a teammate on defense. Um, I don't know if he actually gets credit for a steal in that situation, but he had four steals regardless. And it just shows like the, the competition level was, or the talent level disparity was so great in this game that a player like Drew Smith just looks like an all-star in this setting. Uh, because he doesn't have to try. It looks like he's not even having to try to just be so fluid and under control in a game like this. Really fun to watch. What do you think of uh, Mario McKinney finally getting a little bit of run? Yeah, it's good to see him get in there. I mean, man, he's so fast. And I just wanted to him to get like a breakaway like yeah. dunk or something. But um yeah, I mean, this these kind of things are going to be valuable for him just to get some minutes, get in there and just kind of figure out what it's like to play against other really talented players. I mean, obviously he didn't play against this caliber, even this, you know, the caliber of Chicago State players. He didn't play against these kind of guys all the time uh, in high school. And so it's just, it's probably been a little bit of a reality check for him this year to realize I can't just drive to the hoop every single time effortlessly and, and get there. Um, but he's going to figure it out, I think. He's just too athletic. Um, comes from obviously a great pedigree of basketball history. He's, he's going to figure it out. It may not be this year that we see him um, really make a huge difference, but I, it was good to see him out there. I, he looks like he's having a blast. Yeah, he was also the kid's favorite player because uh, they couldn't believe that his, his name is Mario. <laughs> they only knew of Mario as the uh, Nintendo video game character. Uh, so they thought that was pretty funny and cool. Um, the walk-ons got to come in and make some shots. They, uh, Evan Yerkes, how do you say that? I don't know. Yerkes, I think. And Brooks Ford each made a three-pointer, so that was cool to see. Was that the um, loudest the crowd was all night? Uh, it was, yeah, probably right up there. Well, I think the bench being loud for it yeah. just made it even more so. Uh, the crowd itself might have been a little bit louder for uh, Mark Smith's dunk. But in when you add the bench reaction to the crowd, yeah, I think it was probably louder for the, the walk-ons. It's so true that the the bench getting into the game, I think, is so big for momentum and the crowd getting into it. The crowd, like, realizes those things, that the, oh, that yeah. the bench is getting excited. And I don't know. I feel like if I was a coach, I would really try to emphasize, like, bench participation because I think it, it makes a big difference with things that you've probably – I don't know. There's only so only so many things you can control, but I think that's something that you could make a a difference, and it's not difficult to do. One thing that I thought was kind of interesting is when when McKinney first went in, it got a reaction, and every time they subbed him out, every time he came on or off the court, the crowd was getting loud for him, and I think that's important too. Just the fact that the crowd realizes this is an important player for this program. And he hasn't been playing a lot. So let's make sure when he gets out there, he is appreciated. And I think that just, I don't know. I was happy with the with the fans with that one, that they were smart enough to realize this is the guy that we really want to be cheering for. Um, this is another game now where Mitchell Smith has been a starter along with Mark and Drew Smith, as well as Kobe Brown. Uh, Reed Nico in this one, but 
uh, going forward, that would be Jeremiah Tillman. What are your thoughts on that starting lineup? It's definitely not one that many predicted at the beginning of the season. Yeah, it's a huge lineup, <clears throat> and it's a little bit. I was surprised, honestly, to see uh, Nico in there. I thought that they would just, I don't know, go with a smaller lineup or something. But yeah, um, yeah he. I mean, he didn't stick to it very long. I mean, but I, I don't know. I guess I don't have a whole lot of thoughts on it. I, I guess I was surprised to see Nico in there just because I thought there would probably be a better combination of five that you could put out there. But but with Mitchell Smith at the four, I mean, even when Tillman's out there. Uh, that's that's a really large starting five. I mean, Mitchell Smith being 6'10", and then Kobe Brown playing the three. We all kind of thought, and he was slotted into that into the four spot when uh, when Pickett was playing, kind of a stretch four. Now, when you slide him down to three, and you're playing with two guards, um, I don't know. That's just a completely different lineup than having Pickett out there. Um, with Kobe Brown at the four you wouldn't think just switching guys switching one player out would make that big of a difference but when you're switching a player out and shifting guys down to a different position that just completely changes I think how they how they play on offense and just Mitchell Smith being able to switch onto guards on defense has been really really quite helpful for them I think has mitigated some of those really slow starts that we saw earlier in the season yeah, I think Mitchell Smith has been instrumental in kind of helping the team rebound this year. Like he's just like we talked about it quite a bit last week, but just I don't know, man. He's just I I hate to use the term glue guy, but it really it just feels like he really is. I he's just kind of the the guy that's not going to score double digits every night, but he's just doing the little things that go unnoticed sometimes that truly help teams win ball games and um he's just filling filling a role that is difficult to play i just it's difficult to guard guards whenever mm-hmm. you're 610 and he's doing it well and it, it makes a huge difference so that we can get some versatility in to the lineup uh, in other positions and of course defensively um missouri just had their way with chicago state i mean they only chicago state scored 33 points and i mean I don't think you could ask for much more even against a, a opponent that you're supposed to beat. But, I mean, they locked him down. 33 points is still very few, no matter who you're playing, unless you're in Virginia. <laughs> Anything else about uh, this matchup before we move on to talking about the SEC and uh, the future for Missouri? Nope. All right, then. Let's take a look at the rest of Missouri's schedule. So uh, the non-conference is basically over. They do play West Virginia in the SEC Big 12 Challenge, but uh, we'll just kind of ignore that game for a moment and take a look at Missouri's SEC slate. Um, Specifically for Missouri, uh, before we kind of talk about the SEC as a whole, how does the non-conference so far affect your prediction or how you think the conference season is going to go um i don't know at this point i think i've moved on from the charleston southern game i think obviously charleston southern played better than they normally would and i think missouri played a lot worse than they normally would in in that game i I don't know what happened but i think that that was just kind of an anomaly 
and I've kind of put it behind me. I think they've played well enough the last three or four games to prove that they've put it behind them as well. Um, so I think that that's I, I don't think that's factoring into my predictions for the rest of the season as much. Um, I probably am using a little bit of rec- recency bias, and I might al- almost be a little bit too positive in my predictions for the rest of the season. Well, four wins in a row, and including at Temple and against Illinois. I mean, that's obviously after the Charleston Southern game, we were like, well, you gotta you gotta win out until conference play, and that's what they did. I agree with you though that in my mind, when I'm looking at the what games I think that they will struggle with. Um, I'm basically in my mind that Charleston Southern game didn't happen because I don't think it, you can factor it in in very much and have a realistic outlook. Um, if you think that they're going to come close to playing that poorly, obviously they will lose and they could play that poorly against an SEC opponent. But um, I just don't see after this four game winning streak when they kind of bounced back I still can't explain why they lost like they did, but it just, I think, shows that they are in a space where they're not going to let a game slip up on them like that again. Um, I'll kind of give what I think is the best and worst case scenario uh, for the SEC season, and then you can tell me what you think is going to happen. So I do think there's a possibility that they could start it off with a win against Kentucky. We'll preview that game in more detail momentarily. Um, but I also think that they'll split. I think there's a a decent chance that they'll split with, uh, Tennessee and Florida at home. Um, I wouldn't count on them winning both of those games. And then, uh, I think that they'll kind of do like most sec teams do and lose road games against middle of the pack teams. But I could see them going on two separate four game winning streaks. If they can really get it all together. Uh, The first one would start with South Carolina and end with Arkansas at home. Uh, Sorry, that would start with Georgia at home and end with Arkansas at home. So Georgia, South Carolina, Texas A&M, and Arkansas. And then the second one would start with Vanderbilt on the road and end with the last game of the season at home against Alabama. So that's Vanderbilt, Mississippi State, Ole Miss, and Alabama. That's eight wins right there that are totally winnable. And if you're looking at the best case scenario for Missouri in the SEC, those those four game winning streaks could be a part of it. Yeah, the the end of the schedule is is definitely some great opportunity for them to finish the year strong um, with Vanderbilt, Mississippi State at Mississippi and home against Alabama. Those all those four games are obviously completely winnable, and they should win three of the four for sure. So if they were able to pull off those two winning streaks, I could see them getting up to potentially 12 wins at the very most in conference play, which would put them right there on the bubble, potentially on, I think that would put them on the good side of the bubble uh, fairly easily, but I think that is what it would take to be in that situation at the end of the year. Yeah, if they could win 12 games, I think for sure they're anywhere in that like seven to nine seed range in the NCAA tournament. Yeah. On the flip side... I could see them losing the kind of toss-up home games if they lose to both Tennessee and Florida. Um, I'm I'm saying Auburn's a loss either way. Um, but then, you know, if you just can't finish off those little uh, winning streaks, if you lose a game in the middle of that and maybe drop just a couple of upsets, um, then you're looking at, I think, worst-case scenario eight and 10 
I, I really I really think Missouri should be able to win nine games, um, but I wouldn't be all that surprised with an eight and ten season. And if I'm remembering correctly, uh, let's see here. Last year, Missouri was able to win 15 games overall with just five conference wins. So that would still be eight conference wins. Eight or nine would still be a pretty good step up from last year. But I still think would be just a tad disappointing for a lot of fans. Yeah, I'm I, I'm a little hesitant to even say what I think could be the floor because as we've witnessed in recent history, Mizzou history, well, in football for one, man, that season took a turn for the worse like no one could ever imagine. And that, you know, not, you can't you and can't, you we can't tell me that's going to happen in the basketball season. And we too. lost we lost to Charleston Southern, and like you know, think that's literally just mind-numbingly unexplainable um that we could lose a game at home to charleston southern so you mean like the football team losing to vanderbilt uh yeah a little (laughs) bit like that so i i think the floor is lower than that i think the floor could be six wins um and i that would not like completely shock me if missouri went what would that be like six and 13 or six Six and 12 in the sec slate i think that would that would be disappointing but that would not shock me at all um I think they'll be somewhere perfectly in the middle between kind of, I think they'll probably win nine or 10 games. And I think I would be, if they could win 10 games, I think I'd be satisfied with that for sure. So uh, with a 10 win, if you're thinking 10 wins is um, possible, if not likely, um, and obviously something you're hoping for, what do you see being the best win in conference play for them at the end of the season? Um, well, I actually went through the schedule and I just kind of quickly marked win or loss on every game. Um, and I had them going 10 and 8. I think probably the best win I have is them probably beating Florida at home. Um, going through here. Yeah, I would say that's definitely the best win on the schedule that I have them, them winning. I, I have them winning a couple games on the road against like Alabama and uh, I have them losing to Arkansas both times, though, and I think I have them losing the game at home against Auburn. So those are other opportunities for big wins, but I just those are going to be really tough ones. Yeah, uh, you're right in line with what Ken Palm is predicting for Missouri's conference season. Uh, they've got them going ten and eight, finishing with an overall record of eighteen and thirteen. Um, that would not be enough, in my opinion, to get them in the NCAA tournament. They would have to win they'd have to probably get to the championship game of the SEC tournament to even have a chance at that point. And in a normal year, it might be enough, but I think the SEC is clearly down this year. And I think that's been pretty agreed upon nationally. And I don't know, at this point, it's kind of hard to change that narrative by the end of the year because we're now we're playing each other and we're kind of beating up on each other now. So I I agree with you that I think six teams will get into the tournament and I think Missouri will be right at that seven line is what I've predicted, at least just on a rough rough draft, I guess. And I think that's probably what's inflating the my floor for them this season is just knowing that the SEC in general is not as good as they were last year. Um, I don't think that... Oh, let's see where uh, Missouri finished. 12th in the league last year. And... I just think last year's Missouri team, just take the exact same team, have them play this year's SEC. I think that team is finishing with 
two or three more conference wins. So that's where I'm kind of thinking that maybe their floor is a little bit better than um, than just you know the, a repeat of last season. That makes but, sense. But you're definitely right that a team that can lose to Charleston Southern can do just about anything. So yeah, I mean, I, I would say that probably every team in the SEC, besides like Vanderbilt and Auburn, are probably worse this year than they were last year. And Missouri, obviously, it's better this year. But yeah, I would say almost every single team is was better last year than they are right now yeah well then uh who do you think is going to win the sec i picked auburn um i mean at this point it's kind of an easy pick at this point they're 12 and 0 they're the only team that's showed a tremendous amount of consistency uh kentucky's always going to be there florida's probably always going to be there i actually ended up picking florida fifth uh behind auburn kentucky arkansas and lsu i've got them fourth uh, I have uh, Arkansas third as well. Yeah, so I actually did pick Auburn to win it as well. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if we're looking at kind of a, I don't know. I think either Kentucky and Auburn together are going to rise above the pack and battle it out for the number one spot. If that doesn't happen, then I think we're talking about all five of those teams you just mentioned being in contention until like the last 10 days of the conference season. Mm -hmm. I think it could really come down to that. And that's kind of what Ken Palm is thinking with their projected finish. Uh, There's, let's see here, five, six, seven, eight teams uh, with a winning record in the, in conference play, but all eight of those teams are between 10 and 12 wins. Yeah. I, I really just think the top like four or five teams this year are just way more separated from the rest of the league than probably in years past. Like I, I, I don't know. The middle is like just kind of all in there like, like normal, but I would say, I don't know the top, the top of the league, I think will be farther out, like farther ahead. away from the yeah. re- ahead of the, of the rest of the pack this year. Yeah. I'm kind of looking at Kim Palm's uh, sec standings from last season and uh, if you compare them to what's going on so far, last year there were one, two, three, four, five, six teams around 25th or better. This is obviously at the end of the season. Uh, compare that to three this year. So just according to the analytics and those type of things, as well as the eye test and just the records, it's pretty clear that the SEC is down, and if one team is going to be dominant, I can really only see that being Auburn. Of course, Kentucky is always able to, seems like they're always able to kind of figure stuff out and pull it together at the end, but I do like Auburn to probably win the league. Um, and I also think that those five teams are probably the only ones that are going to make the NCAA tournament. It seems weird not having Tennessee in the mix there, but I've just got Auburn, Kentucky, Arkansas, Florida, and LSU making the NCAA tournament. And I think you're going to see some not very um, appealing seeds for two or three of those teams. Yeah, but I also think that that gives Missouri a great shot to have a really impressive year. Obviously, I don't think Missouri's quite as the, as good as I thought they would be, hopefully, at this point in the season. they They've really put the, the last four four games they've really put it together um but i don't know no if i knew that the sec was going to be as down 
as, as it is. I think I would have probably predicted Missouri to do better at the beginning of the season, but I think they're probably still right in line with what I predicted at the beginning of the year just because I think they're just not quite as good as I th- had hoped they might be, but they might figure it out. It just, like we talked about, it really depends on the confidence of some of those those uh, those guys. If we can get a few guys to step up, then you know Missouri might be able to put together kind of a magical run and maybe get up to that you know three or four uh, seed in the SEC tournament. That would be I really that's probably the ceiling is that three or four mark. But that would be a double buy in the uh, SEC tournament, and that would be a really special season. So uh, outside of that really special season, you're thinking like seventh or so I, I put them seventh yeah okay. that's where I have I have them 10 and 8 and seventh place not making the tournament uh that's probably the most likely situation um I could see them fairly easily being better than Tennessee when it's all said and done and getting that sixth spot and also still not making the tournament I actually have Tennessee at eighth in my rankings I just quickly ranked all all of the teams and I, I had Tennessee Who at you have eight. that sixth spot Mississippi State and do you think they're able to make the NCAA tournament? I had them making the tournament, but who knows? It does seem weird for the SEC to only get five teams in after having you know pretty decent seasons and good showings in the tournament uh, last three or four years. So I don't know. But uh, yeah, I would be pretty surprised and obviously very disappointed if Missouri finished worse than 10th in the conference. Yeah. Um, then we'd be basically just right at where uh, a lot of the preseason media people selected them. You know, they were picked 13th by the SEC media, which we all scoffed at. But um, when you just have a team or when you just have a league with a lot of mediocre teams in it, uh, you just never really know. And the difference Mm -hmm. between 13th and 10th may not be that great at the end of the season. Yeah, you really want to avoid the play-in game. I mean, that means you had a a really disappointing season and you got to play way more games in the tournament than anybody else. Yeah. So that's obviously what you want to avoid. If you really want to get cheeky, then you can hope for that that top four seeds. But I don't think that's probably going to happen either. But that's what what do you think is more likely? A, a ten to thirteen, or I guess ten to fourteen, or a top four seed? Um, including ten in there. Uh, well, actually, what would be the the playing game would so be 11, eleven through, through 14. fourteen. Okay, yeah. so yeah, you're right. What what All do you right. think is more likely? Give me top four over uh, over bottom four Ooh. any day. All right. Although, I feel like both are f- pretty unlikely. I agree. So, uh, we're trying to just you know do our usual, keep realistic expectations. <laughs> we're and, always just uh, right there in the middle. We're we're too afraid to. Uh, I don't know. Uh, we picked the football team to go ten and two. Oh so, god. Yeah, that didn't happen. That's what happens when we get a little too Some excited. Some people picked them to win 11 games. So, I, I mean, all the, and others picked seven. But I don't know. Hopefully, we're not getting too excited and we're not too disappointed in their finish. Uh, but they're going to have a really good opportunity. If they were able to, in their SEC opener, knock off Kentucky at Rupp Arena, that would do a lot towards uh, turning their uh, NCAA tournament fortunes around. And they would be at the top of the standings right away. So if they could win at Kentucky, that would be that would be really that'd be that'd be quite quite nice, quite quite good in general. Let's talk about Kentucky. They are nine and three this season. They are fourteenth in Kempom. They are ranked in the top twenty-five in both offense and defense, coming in at twenty-fifth on offense, twenty-fourth on defense. 
They had a really weird loss to Evansville that made uh, sporting headlines. Uh, they also lost to Utah and the really good Ohio State team. They have wins over a fantastic Michigan State team, uh, top 100 Georgia Tech, and then another really good team in Louisville. So they can beat anybody in the country, it would appear. But they're also uh, not a complete team. They have some pretty big holes, and they can mess up and lose to a team like Evansville. Um, I think that they're not as fun to watch as Kentucky teams uh, of years past, and mainly because they're just not they're not a really good shooting team. They kind of just just kind of out athlete you. Yeah, and they kind of just enforce their will inside, mm-hmm. and they're excellent at getting to the basket and converting um obviously they're led by their trio of guards um ashton Hagens, tyrese maxey and emmanuel quickly uh those guys are really good they would be um obviously starting guards for anybody in the country although i'm not so sure about their any three of them or any one of the three i'm not so sure about their pro prospects and that might be something that uh, coach calipari has to deal with next year uh, is figuring out what he's going to do with uh, the guards plus the ones he's recruiting. But um, that may have something to do with them backing off of their recruitment of Josh Christopher um, if he doesn't think that these guys are, are going to be leaving uh, Lexington at the end of the season. But really good guard play is what I've seen so far, even though they don't shoot the ball incredibly well. They also have uh, junior big man Nick Richards, who is a really good finisher, shot blocker, draws fouls, and then when he gets to the line, he can easily convert uh, his free throw opportunities. And that's one thing that I think where uh, Kentucky's probably going to pull away against Missouri. I think Missouri's defense is going to keep them in a lot of games, but when you're playing Kentucky on the road um, and Kentucky is really good at getting to the free throw line, I think I think we're potentially going to just see Kentucky shoot it's it's probably going to be one of those games where Kentucky makes more free throws than Missouri attempts is kind of what I'm afraid of and if yeah. the wrong guy's getting in foul trouble for Missouri then it could be over you know fairly quickly right I can see a, a, a disaster scenario where Tillman gets in foul trouble and which is not too far-fetched but and and we're not hitting threes and we, we don't get to the free throw line as much as we should and yeah I could, I could definitely see a scenario that plays out where all three of those things happen and we lose by 15 or something like that. I still don't know that we're going to get blown out, you know, just with, because Kentucky's not a great shooting team and, and they don't play very they, fast. They either. play slow and, and so do we, and we have great defense. So we're probably not going to get blown out regardless, but um, it, it might be one of those games where it's kind of like the Butler game where it just feels from the beginning. It just feels like an uphill battle and we can just never quite get over the hump. I think if uh, Missouri kind of keeps their trend of, um, not starting games horribly. If they keep that trend going, um, like they have the last four games, then I think it'll be really close all the way through. And that's where I kind of see the most likely situation of just Kentucky pulling away by just getting into the bonus early in the second half and basically just going to town at the three at the free throw line. Um, another guy to watch out for that I think is kind of under the radar, but is crucial um, not only in this game, but to Kentucky's success the rest of this season is a transfer from Bucknell named Nate Sestina. He's basically their only good three-point shooter. And 
I think him coming into the game and his, he, he doesn't, I wouldn't say he has limited minutes, but he doesn't play a ton. And uh, if he can come in and just knock down a few threes, win, a, you know, limited opportunities, that is huge for Kentucky's offense. And I don't think with everything else, if he's able to do that, I don't think they'll lose very many games uh, when he's able to come in and contribute. So watch for that. Hopefully uh, Missouri has a plan for whenever he's put into the game. Um, he's tough to guard because he's six foot nine. So that'll be probably an opportunity for Mitchell Smith to see what he can do. But in uh, that losing streak that Missouri had earlier in the season, they kind of got torn up by stretch bigs who could step out on like a pick and pop and knock down some threes. It kind of seems like that's Kentucky's recipe for recruiting the last few years. They obviously get the elite recruits they get every year. Um, but it seems like lately in the last few years, they've been really going for kind of a graduate transfer or a guy who's played at a lower level that wants to take the next step up and has some game experience. And I think last year um, they had a really good player that that came from the lower ranks. I think his name was Reed Travis or something like that. Yeah, he came from Stanford. Okay, yeah, you're right. And he was a, a great player. He was kind of a stretch four and, and really added a nice piece to that team with obviously a lot of young players who don't have a ton of experience. I think he kind of helped balance them out. And it was obviously really good too. Um, so I think obviously that Nate Sestina is is definitely a little watered down version of of Reed Travis probably, but um, I think he More could perimeter oriented. Yeah, he I could still say. definitely come in and add some of the same kind of elements that he did. Yeah, and I think it's just like one area where some of these other schools like Missouri maybe had a leg up is finding some diamonds in the rough uh, in the transfer portal and with graduate transfers. And if uh, Calipari and Kentucky are just going to go out and also get the best transfer on the market as well as a top five recruiting class every year. It's just like, okay, what What do you do? What are we supposed to do with that? Um, Looking at Kentucky's defense, uh, thankfully they're just pretty mediocre and not that great at forcing turnovers. um, And they definitely um, don't steal the ball uh, with any consistency whatsoever. So you can just kind of cross your fingers and hope that uh, Missouri will have an opportunity to get some offense going, but uh, with just the athletes that Kentucky has and some of the size that they're able to throw at Missouri, especially at the guard positions, I think it's a dubious proposition at best that uh, Missouri's offense is going to be able to just go off. So if uh, <clears throat> it's Saturday night and Missouri's won this game, tell me how do they do it? Um. If Missouri won this game, that would be fantastic. And it would be because I don't want to just say it would be a three point shooting contest, but Kentucky would have to shoot pretty poorly from three. Um, and I think the free throw shooting would have to be pretty even. I don't think you're going to be able to make more free throws than Kentucky at Rupp arena, but if Missouri's able to get to the line and Kentucky struggles from three, I think those are two things to look for that would keep Missouri in the game right up until the end and maybe give them a chance to pull off the upset. Yeah, that's certainly something that could happen. I mean, we've all, we've obviously seen that they're they're fallible. They they can lose at home to far inferior teams and I think Missouri's got a shot. You know, they've they've got athletes that can hang with them and they've got shooters that are capable. It's just kind of who shows up and um how are they feeling that day? Are they feeling confident? 
Um, is Tillman in the game? I, I don't even know Tillman's going to play. I think he's still kind of day to day with his foot injury. Um, hopefully he's going to be in there, but I don't think that anybody's 100% sure he's going to play. And if he doesn't play, then it's a different game um, potentially. So there's a lot of what ifs, but I think Missouri absolutely has a shot to win the game. Are you going to predict him to do so? No, I think they'll probably lose by, I don't know, upper single digits, maybe an eight or 10 point game. Yeah. 10 points is not single digits, but I think you knew what I meant. <laughs> yeah. Um, I tend to agree with you. I think I've made it pretty clear how I think uh, the game is likely to go. I think Missouri, it, when it comes down to it, I, I think exactly how I said Missouri could win. I think, I don't think it's going to happen. I think Kentucky's going to make just enough outside shots to get them through to the end when they can just rely on their athleticism to not necessarily convert around the rim, but get to the free throw line. And Missouri has not been the best about defending without fouling, um, even against inferior opponents. So um, I look for Kentucky to potentially shoot like 22 of 30 from the free throw line and Missouri only attempt like 13 free throws. I think it could be that bad. And if, if that's the case, Missouri would have to be shooting pretty hot, pretty lights out from three to keep it interesting. So I don't know. Kentucky's really hard to beat at home. So I'm thinking I'm trying to set myself up to not uh, expect too much. So I, I'm going to say Kentucky by 14. Yeah, Rupp is definitely one of the most difficult places in college basketball to play, I would assume. Um, you don't so, know from experience? Uh, yeah, I, I, I dabbled in college <laughs> basketball a little bit. Oh, okay. Just kidding. Um, yeah, so if this game was at home, maybe it, I'm a little more confident, obviously, but it's it's so tough to play there, and at least we're hopefully not going to have to witness like one of those Kim Anderson-type years. Do you remember the year that they lost by literally like 40 points at Rep Arena? It might have been more than that. I think, I think it was that, close to 50. I think it probably was. I, I don't remember what year that was. Maybe like 2013 or 14. Uh, that, that was definitely not 13. 2015, yeah. Kim Anderson's first season. Uh, they lost to Kentucky at Rep Arena 86-37. to 37. Oh, my gosh. That's 49, I think. Worse than you even remembered. Uh, but yeah, so hopefully we don't have to witness that. lost by 16 at home. Oh, great. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, that's all I got. We're both predicting losses. Hopefully, Missouri can uh, surprise us. At least keep it close, make it interesting, make still, it fun. It's still cool to see them play in a venue like that, you know, against a all-time coach probably, uh, you know, before it's all said and done and oh, yeah. crazy crowd. I mean, it'll, it, it'll be fun. Um, and if they pull out a win somehow, then that'll be – That'll be a game to remember for sure. That'll, that'll the expectations be, uh, will be crazy. Yeah, you're probably right. But this is still the first uh, SEC game for Kentucky as well, so they're gonna, their crowd's going to show up and be loud. For sure. And uh, hopefully this beginning kind of tough stretch for Missouri in conference play can just maybe get them battle-hardened. Yep, for got to yeah, stay afloat. Uh, getting keep some wins the, down the stretch. Yeah, keep, you don't want to ever be too high or too low, and I think this could be a situation where if Missouri loses a few games, they can maybe get – get a little too low and get too down on themselves so um just got to compete and i think we'll be fine just kind of make it through the first four or five games 
Oh, that's all I got for this week. That's all I got for this week. Cameron, producer Cameron, is this all you got for this week? Yeah, that's all I got. All right. Well, you can find this uh, podcast on Apple Podcasts, iTunes, and Google Podcasts, and Spotify. We're on Twitter at Mizzou Sports Pod, and you can email us at Missouri Sports Pod at gmail.com. You can find me on Twitter at C underscore Albert 08. Thank you everyone for listening. We will see you next week.